Welcome to worship today. We're at New Horizon in Southwest Ranches. I am Pastor Peyton and you know that if I'm here, everybody else is away. <laughs> they don't usually release me this early in the morning. So I am so happy to see you and welcome. We have lots going on. You can check out our bulletin online. And if you're here, you have it in your hands and we have so many opportunities for you to engage this week. I am excited to worship with you. Let's join in song. I was glad when they say, come, let us go into the house of the Lord. There's a couple of reasons for that. It's a good place to be. Is that amen? amen. Yeah. It's a place where you can come together and you can praise God, the King of Kings. Is that amen also? Is it true that you are thinking of 
about him being a friend but he's your king is he your king is he first in your life this morning
to one of my favorite times of our service. It's where we talk about our pegs. And those are the ways that we can pray, engage, give, and serve in our community and in our church. And there are so many. Um, you can look around here and see all the banners. You can go to our website and see all the opportunities. But um, today I'm going to talk to you about camp. And camp is one of those thin spaces. It's Warren Willis Camp in Fruitland Park, Florida, and we take youth there every summer. And it's rising fourth graders through 12th graders, and we have had big buses that will hold 50 people, we've had vans, but one of the things that we believe as New Horizon is that the cost of camp should not be the reason you can't go. Does that make sense? So in terms of camp scholarship, we want to fill in the gap for those students and families to make sure that every child that would like to go to camp and experience the love and grace of Christ in an immersion week has the opportunity to do so. But that also means we need help doing that. The youth and the students do fundraisers throughout the year, and we try our best, but we always have sort of this number it's the same number every year that seems to be our need number. And it's about $5,000. Don't know how it works out that way, but it always works out that way. We have currently raised about half of that, about 2000 to 2500 So we need some help. So our pegs this week is help us send kids to camp. And whatever you can do, you can pray about it, you can share with your community, you can offer scholarships, you can give money, you can come up with little mini fundraisers in your community to help send kids to camp. But we want to make sure that every child within New Horizon vicinity that would like to go to camp for Warren Willis can go. We go, and we want you to pray for this week too, week two, June 27th to July the 2nd. So our pegs today is Warren Willis Camp. So help us send kids to camp this summer. And it's always great to hear their stories after, and we will definitely be sharing. So with that, let's turn to our Lord in prayer and a time of worship. And I would invite you to keep that on your heart, the, the camp scholarship fund, as well as we want to keep Pastor Lisa and Pastor Rafe in prayer. They are tra traveling separately. Pastor Lisa is off to Greece, and so we want to keep her in prayer as she travels with family, and we want to keep Pastor Wraith and Amy on their travels in prayer. Um, some other things I would invite you to keep on your hearts as we go to our Lord is the things that are happening in our world, 
the things that are happening in our communities. Um, each and every day when you turn on the news, I think we find out that nothing is given. And so as we keep our community and our world and our neighbors and our friends and our families and our hearts, let's um, come kneel at the foot of the cross. Gracious and loving God, we are so grateful to be here today. We are grateful that you have called us together, that you have given us a space and a place to connect in community that your spirit has been poured out on this community and this congregation, and may our spirits rejoice in the good news that you have for us today. Open our hearts to your healing love, Father. We know that you are patient, Lord, and sometimes we find that we are just too busy for our own good. We pledge ourselves to hectic schedules and demands on our time and energy and resources, we seem to be rushing through life. We find it hard to just take a breath and rest in your presence. The cries of those in need often go unheeded because of our activities that sort of sap all of our energy and our resources and our spirits, and it's hard for us to slow down. Lord, remind us again that we are responsible for the care of this world that we are responsible for sharing the gospel in the community to those that we meet. We are responsible for reaching out and offering your healing love. Help us to hear the words of patient love that you have for us. Remind us of the scriptures of which you tell us repeatedly how much we are loved, how much we are valued, and how much we are seen. Remind us again, Lord, of Jesus' words to his disciples when he told them that they should love one another as he loved them. May we take time to bear this witness to that love in all that we do and each and every day. Lord, hear us as we pray together as one community the way Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
may be seated. This morning, I have the pleasure to introduce an amazing pastor, an amazing speaker, and a wonderful storyteller. Um, I think you're going to be very excited to hear from our district superintendent, Dr. Reverend Cynthia Weems. She will be coming with our message today, and we're so happy to have her. Please, Dr. Weems, come share with us. She's amazing. You're going to be so, in, I'm just going to love it. So good to be with you. I tend to be here for um, uh, anniversaries and uh, uh, groundbreakings and ribbon cuttings and all kinds of fun things that happen at a church that is as vital and active as New Horizon. And it's wonderful to be here today to, to preach uh, in this morning where we have these two worship services and then our church conference uh, at 11.30 after the second service. I invite you to come back and be a part of that conversation with us as well. Uh, I, our district runs from Delray Beach to Key West. So there are 60 United Methodist churches in that span and you are one of those. So I live in the central part of Miami-Dade County uh, in Coral Gables where our district office is. Uh, years ago I served as an associate in plantation so I do have very, very fond memories of being right around the corner from you uh, during those years. And I really love South Florida. I am originally from uh, Kansas City, go Chiefs. And thank you, exactly. And, uh, and love uh, living here and raising my, my daughter here and, um, and being a part of the way God offers us opportunities and challenges in this particular time and, and season of church life and in the life of our communities. And I believe that we, uh, when we do that work together, uh, we do it best, right? Uh, the work of God in the midst of challenges and opportunities. Um, in this particular year, I've worked with your leadership more than usual because as you know, you're having a pastoral transition. I'd like to, to simply have a quick moment to thank Karen Brooke, who's done such an awesome job as your staff parish chairperson. I'd love for you to share with me in thanking her. You don't know what she does at this moment when a new pastor's coming, but I do because it's constant emails with me. I um, mean, today we said, oh, it's so good to see each other in person because we've been on a lot of Zoom calls together. Some of you are also on that team as well, but it's a lot of extra work uh, when there is a pastoral transition in order to make it go very smoothly. So Karen, thank you so much. You've been nothing but a joy to work with, and I look forward to continuing to walk with you in this journey this year. So um, indulge me, please. We're in the Easter season, right? So, so Easter comes and goes, but in the life of the church, e the Easter season begins on Easter, and it lasts until Pentecost, which is a couple of weeks from now. So we're still in the Easter season. And when I was in the local church as a pastor, I always like to celebrate what is celebrated in the Eastern Orthodox Church during the Easter season. They like to celebrate on the Sundays after Easter, joke Sundays. Joke Sundays, why? Because Easter is a celebration of the joke, right, that Jesus played on the devil, they would say, right? He was supposed to be in the grave, supposed to be in the tomb, and guess what? He wasn't. So will you indulge me with a couple of jokes? More than just jokes today, I, I'm a big fan of 
family circus cartoons. So whenever I see a good one, I just have to clip them out. And since I don't have my own church, I, I bring them to you. Aren't you excited about that? So the first one, you've got the little kids um, and the parents at the zoo. They're clearly at the zoo looking at probably the, the Africa section. It's, there's like elephants out there. And so people have their binoculars. And uh, the, little, the little guy in the family says, this is like church, mommy. Everyone's whispering. And then the next one, you've got the older boy coming home uh, from what looks to be a lesson. He's got music in his hand. So he's coming home from his piano lesson. And he says, my piano teacher is very religious. She keeps closing her eyes and saying, good Lord. <laughs> I love that. It's good to laugh in church. Now, if you grew up with a grandmother like mine, you were taught to not laugh in church. But we've come a long way, haven't we? So today our scripture is from Acts chapter 11. And it's an interesting scripture. It's so important during this time of Easter, the Easter season, you know, after the Easter miracle, we spend some time in the church thinking about, praying about, diving into the consequences of Easter. There were consequences to that empty tomb. And we learn about most of those in the book of Acts. Acts is a book about the early church and those first believers. And there were consequences to believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so we walk with the, those apostles and the first believers through this very anxious season of being the early church. Now, Acts 11 is interesting because it's really a recap of Acts 10. In Acts 10, we have Cornelius, a Gentile leader, who receives word that he's meant to call to Peter to come see him. At the same time, Peter's having a dream, which we're going to hear about today. And through the dream, Peter, you know, sort of is prompted to respond to the invitation by Cornelius, this Gentile, to go visit, and they have an encounter. So Acts 11 is where Peter is being asked to defend his actions, his encounter with a Gentile. So in Acts 11, it's important for us to set that up here, we're hearing Peter's recap of what happened. He's defending himself to the apostles and the other believers, the Jewish believers. All right, so let's, let's hear this together. Now, the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, Jerusalem would have been um, the, the heavy, heavy Jewish area, the circumcised believers, the Jews, criticized him, saying, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them, right? The Gentiles, why did you go and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision, something descending, like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane, see, all of those things would have been forbidden in Jewish law, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, that everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, Cornelius. Cornelius told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Willie Jennings is a theologian, a scholar, uh, who teaches at Yale Divinity School, and he has written a profound commentary on the book of Acts. And he writes this about Acts. And remember, as I said, the, the, uh, we believe the author of the Gospel of Luke and Acts is the same, and they are often considered kind of two parts of the same story. He writes, the book of Acts speaks of revolution. We must never forget this. It depicts life in the disrupting presence of the Holy Spirit. Luke, its author, is a master storyteller, he says. He's a master storyteller because he follows God on the ground working and moving in and, and through the quotidian realities of struggle, of blood and pain, suffering and longing. He never loses sight of God or of humanity. Both of them locked in the drama of life together, locked in this drama of life together, aiming toward life abundant. Aiming toward life abundant. In the book of Acts, the stories of Pentecost, which happens in Acts 2, and the story of Cornelius receive more attention than anything else in the whole book of Acts. They're similar. They have a similar theme, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes to town, amen, and just messes everything up, everything that we thought to be here, tangible, what we know. The Holy Spirit is at work in both of these stories. 
They're important to the story of the larger book of Acts because they, they really highlight the central problem in Acts, the central problem for the early church. And by early church, of course, we mean these early believers. There's not, there's not a church yet. There are people who believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's the early church, these gatherings of people. At the beginning, Jewish believers, of course, because Jesus was Jewish. And now, in Acts, we see what happens when that begins to expand. But the central problem that faced the early church was this question. Is the good news of Jesus for all people? That was the central problem for the early church. Is the good news of Jesus for all people? Now, interestingly, we still have trouble with that question today, don't we? It remains with us. The first stories after Pentecost deal with Israel, of course. This is logical. The first believers were Jewish. They were observant Jews. For them, Jesus as Messiah was the next step in their Jewish roots. For them, the early church was kosher and it was observant. So in the early church, all the laws of the Old Testament were kept. We are observant Jews who believe in Jesus as Messiah. So Cornelius, his, his, presence, his presence, his being, Cornelius was a problem. He was a problem for the early church. You see, in Acts 10, we're told that Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a problem because he was, he was discovered in this, in this group of people as the Jews begin to leave Jerusalem and move toward the coastal road that was between Joppa and Caesarea, they began to meet Gentiles. And I don't know if your life is like mine, but when you have a good thing and you share it with others, sometimes they want it, right? And most of us like to share the good things that we've experienced in our lives. So as Jews begin to make their way from Jerusalem to this coastal road between Joppa and Caesarea, it was only natural that they liked to talk about this really good thing called Jesus, right? That good news. And it kind of makes sense that a Gentile here and there really liked what he heard, liked what she heard, yes? I want to know more about that Jesus. So Cornelius was a problem. He was a Gentile. He was an officer in the Roman army, both of these hugely problematic for the church. He was introduced in Acts 10 as a God-fearer. He was devout. He was just. We're told he gave alms. He prayed. He had won the commendation of the whole Jewish nation. They considered him a good Gentile. That's what we call people who are different from us, right? We still do that, don't we? That's what we call people who are different from us, but, but seem to also be like us. He's a good Gentile. So enters Peter to the story. Why Peter? Peter's central to the book of Acts. We're told that Peter becomes the cornerstone of the church, right? Peter's a central character. And he has this dream. And his dream connects with what Simon hears from the angel. And their stories come together. They have this interaction, this exchange. Peter goes to Cornelius. He hears what he has to say. 
He reflects on it based on this dream that he had. So Peter's challenge is this one. Can he recognize the work of God when it does not conform to how he thinks God operates? You've probably had to ask that question of yourself before. Can I recognize the work of God when it does not conform to the way I think God operates? It's a bit of a rock and a hard place for Peter. Some years ago, in fact, it was, it was during the years that I served here in Broward, I was a part of a Bible study at the church, and we were using a particular way of studying scripture and praying um, in our work, in our study, but like a good Bible study, hopefully you're beginning to utilize the study in your life. And there was a particular way that we were asked to pray during that time about things that were on our hearts that would allow more time for God's voice, more time for listening. If your prayers are like mine, they're not particularly centered on listening. I have a lot to say when I go to God in prayer. So people have to tell me to listen. Well, during that season, um, there was a, a person in my life, a family member, a young adult, someone I was with whom I was close, that had made a decision that I was not a fan of. She had made a decision, I knew about it, had heard about it, I had lots of thoughts about it, I didn't like it, it was important for me that she know that I didn't like it. So my question to myself was how to handle, how to share this very important information about my feelings about her decision. Now she didn't live near me, so really the question was do I call her, do I write her, do I wait till the holidays to talk about this? So in my mind, when I went to God in prayer about the situation, the question wasn't if I was going to share my very important commentary on her decision. The question was how. Like, Lord, give me wisdom to know how to best share this important information, which is my commentary on her decision. So I, I decided to use the method that we were learning in our Bible study, where you, you state the problem, and then you give time for God to respond. Again, I already had lots of ideas about this, so I wasn't quite sure what God could add. But I was willing to open, be open to that. So for five days, that was the method, for five days, I lifted up this concern, this burden that was on my heart about this family member and this situation and all my feelings about it. I simply lifted it up, and I left room. And then I lifted it up and I left room. I lifted it up and I left room. Well, I did this as I walked. Usually I was, my prayer time happened while I walked each day. So for five days, this was the burden on my heart. This is what I lifted up to the Lord. This is what I left room for God to speak into. And by the end of the week, the answer was very clear. It says, if God's voice had boomed out to me, the answer. And what was it? You already know. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. And it was as if my whole body was released from this need to put myself in the center 
of this thing that had nothing to do with me. It's as if God reminded me that actually that young adult in my life needed me to love her. Now, my own commentary to myself was that she was probably expecting a letter, a phone call, or a long conversation at Christmas, right? And perhaps what she most needed from me was not any of those things. So we have Peter in our scripture having this, this dream. And in the dream, he actively talks back to God. That's always fun, right? God, you just said something very clear, but actually, you're wrong. I would never do what you just asked me to do. Unfortunately, God keeps working on us, right? God, God changes the dynamic just a little bit. It's like God wants to honor what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, we have a Torah, we have, we have our Bible, we have our, we have our rule book, Lord, and, and I know what it says, and it says not to eat any of that stuff. I would never do that. And God opens, a, it's like God's opening a, another window. It's like we're in this room of the house, and then God says, what I'm saying is, you do not need to call profane what I am calling clean. I honor you, Peter, and I honor your commitment to, what, to the journey we've walked together for a long time as the people of Israel. And, and, I call clean the people who are Gentiles. Giving you permission, I'm releasing you to invite them into the body. The spirit is at work. The spirit that I promised you is at work. Okay. This may not seem like a big deal to us today. Keeping kosher, it was a really big deal. People would lose their lives over that. Welcoming the Gentiles into the good news was a really big deal. It sounds like good news to us. Most of us are Gentiles, amen? It wasn't good news to everybody at that time. So Willie Jennings talks about these moments in his commentary on Acts as interruptions. Interruptions. The spirit was at work and the spirit was causing an interruption. That is what the spirit does, doesn't the spirit do that? These interruptions. Interruptions into what seems like a, an easy answer. Right? I mean, for Jewish believers, it would, have, it would have seemed like an easy answer. This good news is not for you. Like, we're so sorry. But this is actually our story. Jesus is ours, right? The Messiah, like this is for us. This was an interruption. So Jennings says that Jews believe the interruption was the presence of the Gentiles, right? That they were sort of coming to invade the sacred turf, the sacred space of the Jews, right? They were kind of like the unwelcome guest that wants to stay longer. In Florida, we get a lot of those, don't we? The unwelcome guest that says, I'm going to stay a little longer. It's really nice here. So, so he talks about the, and, and we, can, we can feel that in the text, can't we? We can feel that. 
And we, we can think about times in our lives when that's been us. We've been a part of a group or a club or a church or a family where we're the ones saying, it feels like, like these are unwelcome guests. This is, this is ours, not theirs. So Jennings says that the Jews wanted to see the Gentiles as, as disruptors, as invaders of the space. But he reframes this interruption. He doesn't say it wasn't an interruption, because it was. It was an interruption. But he reframes it and says, the interruption is less entry. It's less about entry, who's coming in, and it's more about expansion. It's a different way to frame it, isn't it? It's less about entry and more about expansion. The space of Israel, the space of the story of Israel, the Old Testament, the long history of our ancestors of Israel, the space of Israel is expanding by the Spirit. And the number of people who worship the God of Israel is growing. That is a different way of looking at that interruption, isn't it? The Gentile question to the Jews in Acts is this. Listen to this closely. The Gentile question to the Jews, Cornelius is asking the Jews in the book of Acts, what will you do if I join you at the body of Jesus and fall in love with your God and with you? What will you do? You're telling the story, you're walking the coastal road, you've got good news, it's on your lips, you're talking about this risen Savior, and I'm falling in love with your God, and actually with you. What will you do? And Jennings says this is the most terrifying aspect of any interruption. Love. That love becomes the result. Have you experienced interruptions in your life? Think with me for a minute. Maybe the unexpected arrival of a of grandchildren to live with you. Maybe a new coworker or a new boss. Unexpected interruption, right? Maybe an elderly parent who needs extra care from you. Interruption change of plans, or I don't know, maybe a, a new pastor coming to your church this summer? Right? Have we experienced interruptions? We have. If you're like me, you probably often experience these interruptions as an invasion, right? like an unwelcome change to my routine, to what I know, to the way I do things. Yet in the end, perhaps you've learned, as I often have as well in life, that these interruptions often lead to an expansion. An expansion of the household, an expansion of our time, an expansion of our work relationships, an expansion of our hearts. Spirit-led interruptions can lead to love and a greater degree of it. 
Mother Teresa has said that, was, was believed to have said, past tense, that the ills of the world all go back to the fact that we have forgotten that we belong to each other. We have forgotten that we belong to each other. When I consider this story today, Peter's recounting of his experience, his encounter with Cornelius, and the way God and the Spirit intervened to help them understand one another, it's as if the creation story just continues to connect us back to each other, right? We belong to each other. Jews and Gentiles belong to each other. And I believe in our world today where we see division at every corner, don't we? At every step, it seems. That we consider the ways that we belong to each other, even with all of our differences. We, we really can't underestimate the differences between Jews and Gentiles at the time of the early church. They were profound, insurmountable, people would have said. And yet the early church became a church that flourished with Jews and Gentiles, with rich and poor, with slave and free, with men and women. It flourished with that, with that diversity. It actually became a great trademark of the early church. So let us hear again the end of our scripture today. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I, who was I, says Peter, that I could hinder God? And when they heard this, they were silenced and they praised God saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Thanks be to God that we are given the gift that leads to life. Please pray with me. O oh, holy and gracious God, giver of life abundant, thank you, God, that you walk with us, that you journey with us in this world, that you are always with us. Lord, it is hard for us to thank you for the interruptions in our lives. Yet we must, because we know we have experienced them, Lord, as expansions of our lives, our hearts, our faith. Walk with us, Lord, that we might be your faithful servants. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? Yeah.
community that flourishes in the interruptions of the Holy Spirit. Go in love and share love. Amen. Glorified. 